All right, church, would you stand with me as we praise God for who he is and what he's done, for he is our God.
This next song talks about the promises and how God is consistent through the ages, through the generations, and that his plan is perfect for us if we just believe in him. Will you join me in singing that today? God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant and faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you do just what you said. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting same, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to
Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. We love you, Jesus, and thank you.
Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and sealed us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. I've got a friend And he's closer than a brother And there is no judgment Oh, how he loves me I've got a friend Oh, when he is my strength Oh, he is my portion He's been with me in the valley He's been with me in the fire He's been with me in the storm So let all my life Testify Hallelujah We are not
Welcome to Camp CC. I've been gone for a couple weeks, and so uh, thank you for the time off. Uh, if you're new to us, my name is David Hurtado, lead pastor here, and uh, maybe you haven't been here for the last two weeks. You're like, you know, where is he? Uh, this is me. I'm so glad you're here, especially if you'll meet with me out in the patio afterwards. I do this thing. I hang out afterwards. Love talking to people. Love to hear your story about how you ended up in Camarillo, hearing a lot of stories about people kind of transitioning to Camarillo, so that's kind of fun to hear about that. So please don't be afraid to come and say hello on your way out today. If you're in the video venue, if you're online, if you're out in the patio, wherever you're meeting us, maybe you're watching it in the middle of this week, we want to say we're just glad you found us. And we're glad that you're kind of connecting with us along the way. I've been gone for two weeks. Uh, the first week I was gone, I was in Columbia, South America with my daughter and my wife. Uh, her, she graduated high school and she wanted to go to the land of her people, is what she said. And so we, uh, we went to Columbia, South America. Uh, my sister, um, long story short, I found out I had a sister 10 years ago. So she was there with her husband and they have a new baby, Mateo. So they were in Columbia with us. And then my brother, uh, who lives in Wisconsin, he was in Columbia too, celebrating a kind of like a family reunion of sorts. Only the third or fourth time my brother and sister and I have been together uh, in the same room in our lives. So it's kind of a cool thing. So we went down there together. Uh, my daughter wanted to uh, buy a Colombian outfit, dance Colombian cumbias, which is like the Colombian mariachis. I don't know. It's, you know, it's like, it's like their dance. And then my family that I hadn't met, uh, hadn't spoken to in like 35 years heard about that. And they rented out a hall and they had a, a, um, a DJ, and even like a Columbia mariachi band, for lack of a better idea. And uh, they taught my daughter how to dance cumbias, and we just had a blast of a time. And so that was her graduation gift. Thank you for allowing us to go do that. And then last week, I was at a church plant uh, right here locally in uh, Calabasas. In fact, I have a picture of this. My family went with me. My wife fell ill that morning, so she wasn't able to come, so she's missing. But Believe LA is a new church plant in our tribe, in our family of churches. Uh, the old phrase for this would be a denomination, but we don't like that terminology anymore because it makes it sound like we're not autonomous. We are autonomous, um, but we do believe we're better together. And so uh, we are part of about a family of churches, about 1,500 churches across the United States. And we have a goal of starting 300 new ones in a five-year span. And so this is one of them right here in Calabasas. It's called Believe LA. Uh, it is uh, a, a church that's pastored by a man named uh, Aaron Lindsay. He is a highly kind of world-renowned, uh, highly respected 
uh, um, artist uh, who was a kind of a producer, songwriter, musician. He's won like 25 Dove Awards, whatever. His whole thing is to build a church to reach people in the industry, and he's got the background to do it. And so we went there. They started in January. They have 400 people already. So God's blessing that big time. I went there just to be an encouragement to him to say, hey, my church, we see you. We love you. We're praying for you. We're all for you. We are invested in that plant. When you give to uh, Camarillo Community Church, you allow us to do things not only inside our walls, but outside our walls. Uh, and that's one of the, the, uh, the things that we get to do is help other churches uh, get started. And so I came there. They put me on the stage. I'm like, what? I can't believe it. They asked me to talk, and I just said, we love you. We are praying for you. And I would just tell you, if you're ever not able to come to Camarillo Community Church and you're in the valley, head to Believe LA. You'll be thoroughly blessed. Uh, obviously, when you have a professional artist, uh, you can imagine the worship's pretty incredible there, right? And, uh, and they're meeting in Calabasas High School right now uh, as they continue to see God bless that. And so uh, just thank you for supporting us. I know you guys saw last week we had an amazing uh, um, uh, speaker from Indonesia who's one of our missionaries uh, who's done more in his uh, ministry than I think anybody I've ever met. And, uh, and so we had him as well. We support him as a missionary. We wanted you to see that. But just ways that you can see how when you support us, you're actually supporting the greater kingdom of God as well. Well, I want to start this morning uh, by sharing uh, a statement. And the statement goes like this, that, that the, jumping the gun can lead to uh, uh, being backed into a corner. I don't know if you've ever seen this in your life. Maybe you've, you've come across this issue in your life, but jumping the gun on things can sometimes lead you to a place where you feel like you're backed into a corner. Maybe I'm the only impulsive one in the world who, who, who jumps the gun, but, but I can actually say there's times in my life where I can see, yes, uh, that is true. When you jump the gun, you can end up backed into a corner. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic where this became clearest to me. You remember the, the first couple months of the pandemic, um, the eight weeks where we didn't know what this virus was going to do. Nobody knew about anything about the virus. And, and please stay home and don't go to work and, 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 and figure out what to do yourself, but don't talk to anybody. Don't see anybody. That, that whole season of life. And many of you, like me, went to Home Depot and grabbed a couple of extra tools and started working on whatever it is, whatever project was in the house, right? And, and you started doing those things. In fact, the whole stock market crashed, right, when the pandemic started because nobody knew it was all uncertainty. But had you invested in Lowe's and Home Depot, you would have done quite well. Because, uh, you know, the government's giving out free money and uh, people didn't have time. So they just did home projects, right? That, that, that happened uh, during the pandemic. I had a friend who was, who was selling secondary, uh, on the secondary market like eBay, sports paraphernalia. So he would buy like baseball cards, football cards, and he'd sell them on eBay, uh, you know, or, or he'd get a basketball that was signed by this person or, or a jersey that was signed by, and he'd sell it on eBay. And he says, you won't believe the pandemic's been amazing for me. Like people got all this money, the government's printing money left and right, and then wondering about inflation. Anyway, uh, and, and, then, and, you know, and then they're spending it. They don't have any, have all this time, so they're going on eBay, they're searching stuff up, and I'm selling baseball cards like five and six times value before the pandemic. He made a killing during the pandemic. I had another friend who, um, you know, started looking into penny stocks. He's like, I got nothing to do with my time. And so he just started looking at penny stocks and ticker symbols and started watching message boards. He's like, Dave, I figured out that if there's like, if there's like a viral message board on a certain stock, then in the next two weeks, it like doubles or triples. I go, what? He goes, yeah, I watch these message boards and, and you can just tell when they're starting to talk a lot, all of a sudden, two weeks later, they're double, triple. And he's buying penny stocks and doing this, right? I go, really? Like, how, how well have you done? He said, I've made like $20,000. Like, wow, that's crazy. He goes, how about this? If I find one that I, that I really like, I'll tell you about it and you can decide if you want to invest. I'm like, all right. So he contacts me like a couple weeks later. He goes, I found one. 
Now this one is like, it's, it's hot. It's every, the message boards are going crazy and it's this, a startup and it's an app that's supposed to rival like PayPal and, uh, and Venmo, but it's got an international flair to it. So, so you can send money to your family in different parts of the world. And they also have exchange, you know, exchange currencies on there. And, and they're also dabbling into the crypto world and, 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 and the message boards are going crazy. I go, how much? He goes, it's 92 cents a share right now. I go, give me 250 of those bad boys. 250 shares of this stock. And boy, was he right. I mean, the next two months, that 92 cents turned into $5 a share. It's like five times 250 shares. I'm like, man, I'm feeling pretty good. So I call him up and I go, hey, so when do we sell these things? He goes, never. He goes, you wait till they, they, they overtake PayPal. They're gonna be a $100 stock one day. Famous last words. How many of you know that the uh, things did cool off after the pandemic? Lowe's and, and Home Depot had a good run, but they've come back down to reality now that people are back at work. The sports paraphernalia market on eBay has come back to reasonability after all the money's disappeared that the government was printing. And my startup app uh, did make it onto the Apple store and was, you know, something you could download and whatnot. Uh, but it's not worth $10 today. It's not worth $1 today. It's not worth 10 cents today. It's worth three one thousandths of a cent. I think I looked up this morning, I could sell all my 250 shares for 78 cents. Anybody wanna buy them? I'm so thankful that I only bought 250 shares. Uh, and, and, and I got to thinking about it. Like I, I, I didn't study the company, I didn't research it, I didn't investigate it or anything. I just relied on my friend and, and he was, you know, he, he, was a, he wasn't trying to, you know, he was just, he, wasn't, he didn't have any negative uh, motivation at all. But I jumped the gun and now I'm kind of backed into a corner because I can't sell them. I mean, I'm hoping that one day maybe they'll be worth 30 cents and I can get a third of my, you know, value back or something. Maybe PayPal will buy them out, I don't know. Um, but I, I'm kind of stuck, and I, I, I jumped the gun, and now I'm backed into the corner. Uh, all I can do is hold it and see what happens. And in fact, that's our big idea for the day. It'll be, it'll be on the screen for you, and that is that, that jumping the gun can lead to being backed into a corner. I had my friend uh, Jordan Baker speak two weeks ago, and he started out by leading out with the big idea, and I thought, that's so cool, I'm going to try that. And so that's what we're going to see in our passage today, that jumping the gun can lead to being backed into a corner. And sometimes in life, uh, uh, when we jump the gun, we can be backed into a corner in, the, in a physical sense and just everyday reality. And in the spiritual sense, it applies to this. Sometimes we can jump the gun and we can be backed into a corner, meaning we jump the gun on what God, maybe, maybe God wouldn't have advised that activity or that way or doing it this time. And, and because you jumped the gun on that and you didn't follow God's word on that, you end up feeling like you're backed into a corner. And so we're gonna see the same thing in a principle, uh, in a spiritual principle as well. What might we find when we jump the gun spiritually? How might the walls of life start caving in? And, and what happens to our preparedness? What happens when jumping the gun causes you to be surrounded by negativity? And, and what about when it causes you to fail? How might our impulsivity affect our options? And how does impulsivity have a negative effect on our success? If you have your Bibles with me, I'd love for you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 
uh, open up right now, open your phones up, open a window on your computer up, and get to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And I want to spend some time just, just talking about the context business because it's been a couple weeks, and whether you forgot or you weren't here, I want you to make sure you understand what was going on in verses 1 through 15 so we can kind of use that as a foundation for what we're going to learn today. There was a special arrangement made between God and Israel. Uh, and, and, and it really comes as Israel has said, we don't want you, God. Uh, there's a rejection of God as king. Instead, we want a human king, and that means we don't want you, God, as king. But God says, I'm going to look past all that and still make this work out for you so this can still work. I'm going to give you a human king, and I'm going to tell you by which way uh, I'll bless this, even though you've rejected me. And that seems to be what God does in our lives. We reject him, but he still finds a way to have a relationship with us. And says, I'm going to give you a human king, but I want you to know this is how it's going to work. There's going to be a king and there's going to be a prophet, and both of them together are going to be uh, the theocratic authority structure in the kingdom. You can know that God's blessing you when the king and the prophet together are in agreement in moving forward. King, you're never to go into battle without first going to the prophet and seeing what I would have to say about that. So in this arrangement, the king will represent the power of God and the deliverance of God, while the prophet will represent the voice of God. When the two are unified, you can experience the blessing of God. If you divide those up, you don't have any confidence that you have his blessing. So I'm going to look past your rejection of me, and I'm going to set up this king-prophet relationship. And if you want the blessing in battle, you'll follow it. This is according to 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 8. Uh, this was to make sure that Saul was king under God and not in place of God. It's kind of a checks and balances. Well, if you were here two weeks ago, you heard Jordan speak on this passage where Saul waits seven days. I'm waiting for Samuel to come so we can get the sacrifice done so we can go into battle. He waits seven days, but God wants him to wait eight days. He doesn't wait the eighth day. He just impulsively says, I'll do the sacrifice myself. Whether he got priests or he did it himself, he did the sacrifice before God. Great, check the box, done, now let's go into battle. Samuel comes on the scene and says, whoa, what'd you do? He goes, why, you weren't here, seven days had passed, and, and, and there's all these, you know, there's 30,000 troops, and they're, they're all going to come and come go to war, and all our people are getting scared, and so I just thought, let me do the sacrifice before God so we can get moving. And Samuel says, no, you did a horrible thing. Well, I was scared that people were defecting and there's all these people around us, surrounding us. And, 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 and so I was out of control and so I made a decision to get back in control and that was the whole problem. And Samuel said, no, no, that was the whole reason we have this whole setup. You're never in control, God's in control. And so the fact that you did that was one of the three foolish acts of Saul in the book. The fact that you did that's gonna come with some, some grave consequences. This, this would be the first foolish act that, that Saul does there's two others we're going to see in, in chapter 14 that he makes a foolish oath. And then in chapter 15, he keeps the spoils of war uh, when God says not to. Uh, three things he does. Impulsively does a sacrifice when, when Samuel wasn't there. He makes a foolish oath in 14. And in 15, he keeps the spoils of war. I want you to remember those things. Those are, those are key details that are going to come into play a little later. And because of this, in verse 14 of chapter 13, God says uh, Saul, I'm going to take away the kingdom, the, the kingdom away from you. You're not going to be king forever. In fact, I'm going to give it to someone else who has God's heart. I'm going to give it to someone who is a man after God's own heart. 
Now, now we know that to be the future coming of David, the king. And in fact, the whole uh, narrative is now switching to focus in on David, the king who is coming. All right? We know it to be David, a man after God's own heart. And I want you to file that away in the back of your mind because we're going to come back to the very end. I'm doing away with you, Saul, and I'm going to bring a new king who is a man after my own heart. All right? With that being the context, now let's turn to our narrative and see um, what happens as this is the foundation of our understanding. What consequences could we find in our lives when we jump the gun spiritually? Well, the first thing we find is that we could find ourselves surrounded on all sides. Uh, when we jump the gun spiritually, we had the ability, could have waited and done things God's way and could have known that he would have had the hand of God to protect him. But here, now he finds himself surrounded on all sides. Have you ever jumped the gun in your spiritual life and found yourself surrounded? Maybe this is to be something that you can relate to. Let's look at verses 16 through 18. It says, And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people who were present with them stayed in Giba, Giba I'm going to go with Giba, of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. The raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies, three detachments is the idea. One company turned towards Ophrah, not to be confused with our Ophrah, and to the land of Shual, uh, another company turned towards Beth Horon, and another company turned toward uh, the border that looks down on the valley of Zebo, uh, Zeboim toward the wilderness. What consequences can we find ourselves in um, when we jump the gun spiritually? The first thing we see is that you could find yourself surrounded on all sides. There was a battle that Jonathan won earlier in chapter 13, and it was a nice victory, but the Philistines have now regrouped. And the regrouping of the Philistines, according to verse 5 and verse 15, is about 30,000 troops. Just to give you an idea, Saul and his son and their troops number 600. 600 troops versus 30,000 troops. Uh, and they split up into three companies. So if they split it up even, it would be 10,000 go to this company, 10,000 go to this uh, detachment, 10,000 go over here. And this is a common kind of a war strategy. Surround our enemy from all sides and how can they win, especially when we have 30,000 troops and they have 600. Uh, the word for detachments or for companies is literally uh, raiding parties. And so my, I think my translation said the raiders. So that would be kind of a, 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 a company or a detachment. Uh, destroyers or spoilers, if you have a different uh, translation. And the idea was that they sent battle companies to the north, battle companies to the west, and battle companies to the southwest. Eliminating all supply lines, uh, supply line routes, and the major pass into the Jordan Valley. Um, no reinforcements could come from the tribes to the north. There was no help. There's no more troops. There's no more food. There was no more um, weaponry. Nothing could come in. They were completely surrounded. Think to yourself, embargo. And so here Saul um, jumps the gun, and he finds himself surrounded without any confidence or certainty that he has the blessing of God because he did things out of order. But not only that, there was also an issue with regards to the weaponry that they had. I want you to see this in verses 19 through 23. What, what consequences could we find in our lives when we jump the gun spiritually? At first, we find we could be surrounded on all sides. And number two now, we could find ourselves ill-equipped for battle. 
when we jump the gun, we don't do things God's way, we do it our way, we can find ourselves surrounded, and we can even find ourselves ill-equipped for the task at hand, the battle at hand. I want you to see this in verses 19 through 23. There were no blacksmiths to be found throughout the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords and spears. We don't want them to make weapons, so let's take out all the blacksmiths. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen the, his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattocks, and a third of a shekel for the sharpening of the axes and the setting of the goads. A goad is like this metal thing you put on the end of a stick to prod cattle and move them forward. So all of their farming equipment had to be sharpened by the Philistines. And so on that day of battle, there was neither a sword or spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul or Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. So the only people that had weapons for war would be Saul and Jonathan. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Mishmash. So now a fourth a fourth installment or detachment is now surrounding Israel. What consequences could we find in our lives when we jump the gun spiritually? Well, we could find ourselves ill-equipped for battle. There is uh, an interesting thing going on as it relates to their weaponry. There is a scarcity of weapons. Uh, the Philistines did something smart on their side. Once they became the ruling party of an area, they either uh, um, deported all the blacksmiths out of town into another land. Uh, we see such things in like Judges chapter 1, 2 Kings chapter 24, Jeremiah chapter 24 and 29. So it's not unheard of to say, blacksmiths, come with us, we're deporting you. Uh, or they passed a, a broad sweeping law that made blacksmithing illegal. The idea was we're not gonna allow the Israelites to have any form or way of making weapons. They did this so they couldn't be ready for war. Very clearly, that was their strategy. We also assume that the Philistines would have confiscated all of the weapons that were already there. So we're now in charge. We're going to take out and deport all the blacksmiths. And, and if you have a weapon of war, we're going to confiscate that. And again, the idea was to render them unable uh, to ever fight back. So well, that means that Israel would be left with uh, arrows, slings, javelins, clubs, knives, and the like inferior weapons. And maybe if you can turn your farming tool into some kind of a makeshift weapon, uh, maybe you could use that as well. And what we see is that when you jump the gun, you get outgunned. And that's what happens to them. They jump the gun or Saul jumped the gun and now they're outgunned and they're surrounded on all sides. In fact, even their farming tools had to be sharpened by the Philistines. They didn't have their own ability to sharpen their own farming tools. And they were price gouged in the process. Philistines had learned the art of metalry uh, from the ancient Hittites and the Anatolian peoples. Um, iron was now the most common um, uh, metal to be used. Bronze was kind of dissipating because of its availability. And the, Phil the Philistines uh, charged a pretty penny to, to sharpen your iron pieces. Whatever you used for, for your cattle, whatever you used for your farming, uh, they charged a pretty penny for it. And in the process they would again eliminate your ability to fight back. We're taking all your money so you can just farm. You obviously don't have money for war. Only Saul and Jonathan have the appropriate weaponry for a battle, according to verses 22 and 23. They're the only ones with iron weapons. 
And so we find them, they're surrounded, they have inferior weapons, and they're questioning whether or not they have the favor of God. Not sure we have your favor because I jumped the gun. Now I'm surrounded on all sides. And it kind of brings us back to the big idea. Jumping the gun can lead to being backed in the corner. Jumping the gun can lead to being backed into a corner. Saul jumps the gun, ends up surrounded without weaponry needed for battle. Jumping the gun can lead to being backed into the corner. It's true of the stock market, and it's true in the market of spirituality. But there's an irony here. I don't know if you caught it at the very beginning. And it's something that I want to spend some time and focus on. She's remember, because of Saul's impulsivity and doing a sacrifice, which is a religious thing before the Lord, but doing it in the wrong way, he didn't wait for Samuel to come and do it with him. Because of that event, in verse 14, God says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, and I'm going to give it to someone else, a man after my own heart, a man who has my heart. And the inference there is, Saul, you don't have my heart. And since you don't have my heart, I'm taking the kingdom away from you. And I'm going to give it to somebody else who does have my heart. Does anybody have any problems with that? Does anybody see a problem with that? See, I, I told you there was three things that Saul did wrong in the book of, of, of 1 Samuel. He, did, he impulsively did this sacrifice, which was a religious activity. He just did it the wrong way. He'll go on to make a dumb oath. And then lastly, he's going to keep the spoils of war that God told him not to keep. Those are three things he did. What does David end up doing? He ends up seeing a lady taking a bath. It's not his wife. He says, I want her, grabs her, has an affair with her. And then to clean the whole thing up, he sends her husband into battle to where he would surely die. So now he's a murderous adulterer. Saul, you impulsively did that sacrifice, made a bad oath, and you kept the spoils of war. David is going to be a murderer and an adulterer. And yet I'm going to give the kingdom to him because he is a man after my own heart. Does anybody have a problem with that? Does anybody see the inconsistency there? How in the world is that possible? You see, the truth is, while David made bigger mistakes, when he was called on the carpet for them, he took ownership of them, admitted them, and repented them. He owned up to everything he ever did, even the big things. And to Saul, religiosity was just a placeholder. It was a, it was a placeholder. It was a box to check off so I can get to what I really want to do. And just like Christ rejected religious leaders of, because of their facade of righteousness and yet accepted the tax collector and the prostitute and the Samaritan because they acknowledged their plight of their spiritual state. So does God reject Saul's fake attempt at paying spiritual homage and accepts David's sin-riddled yet truly repentant heart. I hope that's encouraging to you because some of you live in the past and you got, I got all these activities, pastor, and if you knew them, you wouldn't even let me in your church. It's not true. And God doesn't want me. No, no. God wants a repentant heart. It doesn't matter what you did over here. He just wants a repentant heart. Can you acknowledge and own it? 
Because God would be more pleased with that person who had this horrible activity, who owns their junk and says, man, all I got is you. I'm messed up. Then the person who goes, man, I've got it all figured out and I've been pretty good and you're lucky to have me, God. God actually will prefer the person with more horrendous and heinous activity in their life than somebody who can't own their own stuff. So I love Pastor Jordan Baker as he admonished of always take responsibility for your mistakes. Always keep a short account with God. Always repent. Any other response causes you to stand on shaky ground. It's good advice because jumping the gun can lead to being backed into a corner. Now, I'm mindful that there might be some people going, okay, well, that's great, Pastor. Thank you for that. I'll try to mind that in the future, but I've already jumped the gun. And I'm backed into the corner right now. So what do I do now? I did jump the gun. Maybe I brought this on to myself, fine. But I'm here and I'm backed in the corner now. What do I do now? You know, I think of situations that I've come across in 25 years of pastoring and the questions that I'll receive as a pastor sometimes, you know. Situations, sometimes it's younger couples that jump the gun in relationships, start living together, having children together, marrying each other without consideration to whether the person they're linking their lives to have the same values as they have. And then all of a sudden, as they're having children and having these tug-of-war battles on how we raise our children, uh, what do we emphasize at Christmas and what do we emphasize in Easter? Is it the Easter bunny or is it the empty tomb? Those kind of discussions and, man, I really wish I had a partner that agreed with me on these things. And, man, I hate to burst your bubble, but while you might have jumped the gun, there is no out clause in your marriage contract with the Lord for situations where you're more spiritual than your partner is, than your spouse is. In fact, we're instructed to live quietly, winsome lives as we worship the Lord with our whole heart and let God move in that situation. First Peter chapter three, that with a quiet, winsome, worshipful heart, we could actually win them over. You don't get an out clause just because all of a sudden you realize that you jumped the gun. It doesn't work that way. Well, that's great, Pastor, then what do I do? What do I do? I'm, whether it's this situation or any situation, I'll tell you what to do. You turn to God wholeheartedly and you invite him into the situation. You do something that Saul would never do, but David modeled so well, even after the most horrendous and heinous activity. You turn to God. And you let him meet you there. You know, I was uh, um, part of a um, memorial service this week. A beautiful, young, just larger than life personality of a lady. Loved the Lord Jesus Christ with her whole life. I mean, probably literally went on 25 different mission trips in her life sharing the love of Jesus to little kids all over the world. And as I was watching the family recount the life of the mother, uh, the daughter came on the stage and said, you know, I remember my mom getting on her knees and praying. And she told me, she looked at me, I'm praying for your dad's salvation right now. And she said, that's where I learned how to pray for my dad's salvation too. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. 
that God would save our dad and her husband. And that man goes to our church every week is a blood blot believer in Christ. I mean, he is sold out for the Lord. What do I do when I'm backed in the corner? You turn to God and you invite him into the story and don't let anybody ever tell you that it's not possible. Of course it's possible. He's God. That's what he does. He changes people's lives from the inside out. He makes you a participant in the, 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 the very nature of God according to First Peter like, like, he can change me. And when they come to you and they tell you, oh, no, this mental health diagnosis, and when this happens, this is impossible. No, it's not. We believe in a God that changed people's lives. And we believe in a gospel that changes people's lives. And so what you do when you're backed in the corner, maybe I jumped the gun and I got myself there, you invite God into that storyline. And he'll meet you there. You're backed into a corner and you're surrounded and you don't think you have the proper weaponry. Your weapon is prayer. And you pray yourself out of it. And you keep on knocking that door until God gives you that miracle. You know, I have to say, um, I have felt surrounded in my life, ill-equipped for the task in life, many times. In fact, at this point, I think I could say too many times. And I share this not as a credit to myself. That'd be comical because it's out of sheer desperation. One thing I've learned in those seasons is to hit my knees and invite God into this story by God to move. And I do have stories of how God has come through in a miraculous way. And I've got other stories right now that I'm praying through and asking him to move. Change eternal destinies. Change people's tra trajectories in my family that need him. And I don't have the ability to change them myself. But I know a God who can so I find myself on my knees again. If you're in a place where you're feeling cornered and ill-equipped for the task, I just invite you, invite God into your story and trust that he knows what he's doing. Would you pray for me? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we know what it feels like to jump the gun. Sometimes I feel like I can relate more to the, the people that trip up in scripture than the people that are the heroes. I know what it feels like to be uh, cornered. I know what it feels like to be ill-equipped. I know what it feels like. And yet we're gonna find in chapter 14 that you come through for them anyway, because that's who you are. You keep on coming through for us, even though we, we've walked astray so many times, that's who you are. You're faithful to yourself. You're faithful to your word. You're faithful to do the things that give you the most glory. And when you come as the hero in our lives where we've messed up, you look good. And so God, I just ask you, would you meet us where we're at? Meet me where I'm at. The things that I'm dealing with right now. Meet our people in this room who are saying in their hearts, I will bend my knee. I will bow my head. I'll invite you into the story. Would you come through?
I'm not going to assume that I'm the king, I'm in place, and I'm the one who's in control. You are. You are the sovereign one. You don't step off the throne. I trust you. And I won't let them tell me that this is impossible. And I won't let them tell them that no one can turn this person around. I won't let it happen. I'll believe that you can change anyone. Just went on a trip with my brother who knows the Lord. I never thought he'd know the Lord. You can do the impossible. We trust you. We honor you. We wait on you. We pray that you'd bring about your purposes, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those people who we love around us. In Jesus' name. All right. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. Hey, if, uh, if that's you in that prayer, maybe you're the one who's ready to repent and turn back to God and bring God into the story. Um, would you let you know, this is times like this where we're kind of reminded that we're a family and you don't have to go through this kind of stuff alone. And hopefully you're in a growth group and you're surrounded by people who you can be real with and do life with. Um, but either way, if maybe you can stop at the counter on the way back and talk to Pastor Daryl, whoever's there, and let them know, you know, what's going on, because we would love to join you in prayer as our church staff. Uh, all right. Um, I'm going to invite the team Romania up here with me today. They're, um, if, while they're coming up, I'll explain what they're doing. Every year since, I think, 2003 or something like that, we've been sending teams to Romania um, and what they do, they're there for two weeks during the summer, and we take orphan kids out of the orphanages, and we bring them to this beautiful camp, and we give them a summer camp that we're going to put on. So they're planning games and, and other things, um, and then they share the gospel. And we see kids come to Christ, um, and we see uh, lives transformed. We take kids who have very little hope, and we give them the hope of Jesus Christ and the love of God. So that's what they're going to go there and do. They're taking and sacrificing time from their lives. They're representing the Lord in Romania, and they're representing us. And I know many of you have donated towards this and have been praying for this. So they are leaving on Friday. So I wanted to pray for them on stage right now. And if you wouldn't mind joining me, that would be awesome. Lord, thank you for this group of individuals that's um, dedicating uh, two weeks out of this year to go to Romania. Um, and to share your love and your truth and your of uh, the gospel to children um, who don't receive much love in Romania, Lord, that you would, we could you use them to transform lives, Lord, that these children would come to repentance, come to faith, and uh, the trajectory of their life would change from hopelessness to having hope in you. Uh, Lord, we just uh, ask for amazing stories to come from their impact that they're going to have in the years to come. So thank you for them. Would you bless them? Would you keep them safe during their travels? We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you also do me a favor and remember them in your prayers for the next couple weeks while they're traveling and while they're there uh, doing the Lord's work? One more thing. They have a fundraiser uh, today. It's their last fundraiser. And if you don't have plans for lunch or dinner, uh, go to Fat Burger at the Outlet Mall. They have uh, flyers, and if you give them the flyer, 20% of your meal will go towards their trip. All right. Thanks, guys. Yep. Uh, we're going to turn to a time of worship through giving. We do that online at camcc.net. You can also donate via text by texting them out to 84321, or there's an offering box in the lobby.
all of the ministry that you see here, including Romania and church planting and all the things we're involved with, are supported by the generosity of God's people who faithfully obey his word and giving. So thank you for doing that. Before you go, will you check out what's coming up next at Camp CC? Hey, Camp CC, I'm Molly Kibble, and I serve in the children's ministry here. I'm glad that you are here with us today. If today is your first time with us, welcome. If it's your second time, welcome back. If you are a first-time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. All you have to do is grab a connection card, fill it out on both sides, and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby. Or you can scan this QR code with your phone's camera and let the welcome counter know that you filled it out digitally. You can also let us know how we can pray for you. If this is your second time filling out a connection card, we have a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. Just let us know it's your second time at the welcome counter, and it's yours. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. If you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. There are a lot of cool things coming up at CamCC. Who will you invite to come and check us out? August 11th through 14th, Middle School Catalina Summer Camp. Kayaking, snorkeling, hiking, games, prizes, and more on the island of Catalina. This will be a week you do not want to miss. We have some spots left and you don't want to wait, so register now at campcc.net slash Catalina. Or for more info, contact Jacob at campcc.net. August 13th, Awana registration begins. Awana is a fun, engaging Bible club for kids ages three years through high school. Registration can be done online at camcc.net slash Awana or on the church patio. Awana begins on September 7th. Wednesday, August 16th, worship night at 7 p.m. These are powerful nights of encountering God's presence. They continue to grow, so get here early and grab a seat. And kids, check this out. Birth through PK is PJs and popcorn. Come in your pajamas and K through 5th, back to school bash. We're talking worship, scavenger hunt, and root beer floats. This is a night you won't want to miss. For more info, contact Katie at campcc.net. October 20th through 22nd, Women's Retreat. Save the date, ladies. It will be here before you know it. For more info, connect with Allison at campcc.net. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net.